So we are in the second week of our uh, Grow campaign, and I think we got off to a really great start last week. Uh, last week, we, we kind of looked at, at how to grow, and we looked at the best way to grow is by crucifying the flesh and, and by walking by the Spirit, and we laid out some ways to do that, and one of the ways to do that is, is to fast and to give things up, and another way to do that is to have a one, and another way to do that is to sacrificially give, and another way to do that is to pray. Now, probably the first and the last of those are self-evident, but if you weren't here last week, uh, what a one is, is a one is somebody who is not walking with Jesus, who you will intentionally rearrange your life to spend time with, not as a project, but as a friend, hoping to earn their trust, hoping to garner their curiosity so that one day they ask you about the reason for the hope that is within you and, and you can tell them. And sacrificial giving well, is, is about this campaign that we're doing to raise one and a half million dollars to try to update our facilities so that we can do better work in evangelism and better work in discipleship and particularly be about church planting and strengthening children and family ministries. That, and, and we know that that's a lot. So in addition to these sermons, We've been giving you tools. We've given you this awesome book uh, that we've created that's got daily devotions and a, and a daily prayer guide and it has all this information. And if you didn't get one, I hope you will grab one. Uh, we have some more available today. And that you'll plug into it. Uh, I'm a little bit of a connoisseur of daily devotions. And, and I have to say, uh, Melissa Jenkins, who wrote that for us, did just a fantastic job. Uh, uh, she probably hates that I said her name on that, but she did just such a fantastic job. I can't help but, but lift it up. Uh, it, it's just awesome. And we also have these vision gatherings. And again, if you haven't signed up for one, I hope you'll come to one. There's, there's uh, one Monday, one Tuesday, one Wednesday that you could still easily get into. These are gatherings of about 30 of us where I unpack everything, and I would love for you to be a part of that. We have a prayer night coming up on March 22nd. We have a commitment Sunday on March 26th. We have a celebration Sunday on Easter, April 9th. There's a lot of stuff to help you get into this, but what I want to get at today is, is why? why. Why would you do this? Because it's hard sometimes. Uh -um. You know, it, it, it's hard and relationally risky, and it means you giving up time to, to walk with a person who isn't walking with Jesus. It's emotionally risky. And, and sacrificial giving is just that. It's a sacrifice, and who wants to sacrifice? It's hard. So why would we do it? That's what I want to dig into today, and as usual, the Bible is a great source for everything, and it's a great source for why we want to do this. And, and so uh, while I will refer back to the great commandments from Matthew 22 that Billy read, right now what I'd love for you to do is to turn to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, and I want to look at verses 11 through 15. Uh, so open there in your Bibles, your pew Bibles, or your Bible apps. And, and then also, if you would, uh, just put a finger at at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to eventually refer to verse 8, and it's just helpful to be able to get there. Uh, what, what you're going to see in these verses is they all have a common theme. The first theme is, and the theme is love. The command to love God and to love neighbor, 
and the way God's love compels us to love him and neighbor by sharing the gospel and our very lives as well. But with that, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 15. Listen for God's holy word to you. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is the word of the Lord. So as I said in the children's sermon, one of one of the motivations for doing anything, one of the whys is fear. And you hear that at the beginning of this text, right? Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. But while we talk about fear here, this is a nuanced fear. This is not a fear of punishment. It's a fear of missing out. You see, in Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom tells us that we don't have to worry about punishment because the punishment is nailed to the cross with Jesus. You don't have to worry about that. That's taken care of. But, but what we do worry about is we worry about missing out, missing out on what God has for us, missing out on his love and joy and peace. And we fear that not just for ourselves, but we fear that for our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors. We don't want them to miss out on what God has. And, and not just heaven and the sweet by and by. And, and we don't just fear hell, though those are real things. What we fear is missing out on love and peace and joy and all of those things right now. A life with meaning and purpose. We fear that. And you can tell that we fear that because of what it says. Because we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What are you trying to persuade them of? You're trying to persuade them to find the abundant life found in Jesus. And again, as we've said this before, and I told you I was going to pound on this, one way to do that is to have a one. Have somebody who is missing out and spend time with them on a regular basis. Not as a project, but as a friend. Hoping to provoke their curiosity, hoping to earn their trust so that someday when they ask you about Jesus, you're ready, and you've earned the right to do all that. So yeah, fear is one of our motivations, but it's not the main motivation. The main motivation to do everything we're talking about is love. Now I wish I could say that it's our love for God that is the main motivation, and that that's up front, and that's what it works, is, is that we just so naturally love God that we want to do all this. But the truth is, we don't naturally love God. Not since the fall. In our hearts, our inclination is to hate God since the fall. To be enemies of God. Uh, I mean, maybe we love God somewhat, but, but we don't love him 
first and foremost. That great commandment says the first command is to love God with all that we are, heart, soul, strength, mind. And we don't. St. Augustine said that the definition of sin is disordered love. And I really like that because, because what it's saying is you might love God, but it's not number one on the list. You might love neighbor, but it's not number two on the list. Usually it might be comfort or security or self all come higher on the list. And because of that, God has to woo us. He has to romance us. He has to win our love for him. I mean, I want you to think about this. Uh, the kids kind of played it out on vegetables. Like the, they, they said, we go against our own will to eat these vegetables. Right? So it, it's against your own will to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. God can command it, but he can't compel it. God can't make you love him. Because love has to be chosen. Now that sounds weird, right? Like, like God should be able to do anything. But if God made you love him, it wouldn't be love. Because you wouldn't have any choice involved. God can't compel love, but his love can be so compelling. And then, when we realize how much God loves us, then we're compelled to say, I love you too, through obedience. And so God wins us, he woos us, he loves us. He draws us to himself, hoping that we will get to the spot where one day, and we heard this in the call to worship, right? God desires that all might be saved. That we'll say, I love you too. And this is consistently what God does. I want you to think about uh, the Old Testament. And I want you to think about the Ten Commandments for just a second. When did God give the Ten Commandments? Was it before or after grace? It's after. God, God delivered the people from slavery in Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea. He drowned all their enemies. He gave them manna every day. He gave them water from a rock. He gave them his presence in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Uh, uh, all these things. And then, and then he says, the Ten Commandments, then he says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. God woos us first, and that enables us to then say yes to what God is asking. And if that's what happened in the Old Testament, it happens even more in the New Testament. Think about what Jesus did to win your love. God took on flesh. He, he, he eternally took on a body for you, a body that hurt, a body that scarred. A, a body that bled, that sweated, that got cold. And, and it was like us in every way except for sin. And, and then, if that wasn't enough, he suffered. And he died. And he rose again as a promise of our own resurrection. Some of you ladies at one point in time received promise rings. The resurrection is a promise ring. Promising 
union with us through the resurrection. And then he ascended, and you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's interceding for you. He's praying for you with groans beyond expression. And you know what he's going to do? One day he's going to come back for you. He's doing all these things to win your love. And when you realize that, it's, it's not impossible, but it should be impossible to say no to him. And so you say, I love you too. And now, how do you say, I love you too, to God? We love because he first loved us. But how do we show our love? I really like the way Clement of Alexandria uh, in the late second century actually unpacked everything I said. What Clement of Alexandria said is, is Jesus Christ is love. And because he's love, he makes us lovable. His love makes us lovable. And then, because his love makes us lovable, we are inspired to love others. But the word inspired might be too weak. I like the word that was there in our text. It compels. Christ's love compels us. That was verse 14. And what does it compel us to do? Well, it compels us to love God and to love neighbor, and the best way to do both of them is to tell people about Jesus. And we have this fantastic example in the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was captivated by Christ's love. He was blown away that he, a persecutor of the church, would be loved by God, that he would be saved. And he was so amazed by that that he did unbelievable things for the for the gospel. And we hear that in that 1 Thessalonians 2.8 text. So if you did keep your Bible open uh, to that text, flip over there to 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. Uh, I'm actually going to recite it. I memorized this verse a long time ago, and I memorized it in a slightly older version uh, than what might be in front of you. So the word order might be different, but here, here's the way I memorized it. We loved you so much. Don't miss that. He loves these people, people he had never met, who he went to go find. But he loved them so much that what? We are delighted to share with you. Notice that it's a delight to do this. We are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Friends, that's a one. He was so in love with God that he was delighted to go to people who he had not met and to share his life with them, to walk with them until they came to the spot where they accepted the gospel. He, that's how much he loved them. And, and if you think that's easy, I want you to think again for just a minute. Do you know how much Paul endured to share the gospel with people? There's this really nice summary of it in, in 1 Corinthians 11. Here, here, here's what that text says, that Paul endured what he was compelled to do, even all these things to share the gospel. Here's what he says. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily my pressure, the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Man, was he motivated. I mean, think about all that he endured there. He was motivated. How motivated are you? The fear of the Lord should motivate you. The love of the Lord should compel you. Now, Paul maybe sounds like an impossible standard, so... I want to show you a video uh, of one of your own uh, who, who uh, lives this out. Now, there's a lot to this video, uh, um, but I want you to pay attention to the way Christ's love has captivated her and motivated her decisions. Listen to Donna Shiflet for just a minute. This year will be 25 years. We moved back to Harrisonburg in 1998, and we visited many churches and chose First Pres because they were preaching the Bible, and the people were very friendly and welcoming, and we were excited by getting into Sunday school classes and small groups, which they had, so we chose that. I love the fact that when I look across the church, the people in the church, are very involved and not just Sunday visitors. They are part of our church family. The people at First Pres are very heart-centered people. They care about each other. And I've had many surgeries. I've had to deal with paralysis. And I've always had the support of my church, whether it was individuals or the pastor or whomever. After surgeries, there was a program called Meals, and they, they supported us with meals while we were recuperating. Notes, cards, the typical things that church people believe and people do. But I always found the Word of God coming through these notes. The paralysis as a result of the nerve damage in the spine for radiation received back in 1975. And it's been a gradual process unlike many people who are paralyzed from an accident or skiing event. So I've had to adapt along the way. And uh, I've had good support from my husband and my family and my church family. And usually when I'm with my church family, I don't even realize I'm in a chair. Um, the morning music at our church levitates me from this chair. And that fills my soul and my heart and gives me the joy, the strength of God to carry on. So the radiation saved my life, but I have to be a paraplegic. And so God has given me the strength to walk day by day with this journey. Yes, he's used this situation. It's easier to witness to someone if you say, you know, God's been with me through this. God gives me the strength to carry on. So it is a way to witness to non-believers or others. And then when I say, 
they tell me some life experience or something they're facing, and I say, well, I'll be praying for you. And sometimes that's just enough to pique their interest, I think. There was a time once when I had a panic attack before surgery, and the next surgery, when it came around, I read the devotional that morning with Jesus getting in the boat and calming the storm. And so I said, Jesus, you're going to have to get in the boat with me this time. And he did, because they put me to sleep before they told me they were going to put me to sleep. <laughs> and it's just always interesting to see the other side of humanity, because when I'm out and about, whether it's a grocery store or whatever, uh, people are willing to help. And you don't usually see that unless you're in my position. People willing to help. And that's, that's a God thing. Those are God moments when people reach out to you. And I want to be able to reach out to others. Don't you just love Donna? But what makes her so lovable? It's God loving her. And God's love has compelled her to share with all of you. And she's known that God loves her even in the midst of paralysis and hardship. And she's experienced God's love because of you. And she does want all of you and this whole world to know that same love. But what about you? Will you let the fear of the Lord cause you to persuade others? Will you let God's love compel you to have a one, to invest sacrificially? Will you dig into knowing his love more? Because that's what's going to motivate you. And with that in mind, I'm grateful for this table. I'm grateful for this table because this table reminds us and allows us to experience God's love. This is where we see that he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. And here is where we experience his real spiritual presence. We know his love, and it should motivate us to go out from here. So let's come to the table, but let's come confessing. Confessing that maybe we've forsaken our first love, that we've allowed our love to grow cold. We'll do that first in silence, and then with the words that will be on the screens together. Let's confess. And now on the screens. We pray and beg you, merciful God, to grant your goodness that we may spend this day and all the time of our lives without sin, in fullness of joy, holiness, and reverence of you. But drive away from us, O Lord, all envy, all fear, and all temptations. Bestow on us what is good and right. Whatever sin we commit in thought, word, or deed, 
may you in your goodness and mercy be pleased to pardon. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Through the grace and mercy and love of your only begotten Son. Amen. Friends, here's the good news. If you confessed your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. He forgives you to woo you back to him. That should blow you away. But if you said that, sin, that, that, that prayer, and you meant it, and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, he wants you to come. He wants you to come to this table. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that people would indeed come, people from north and south and east and west of every tribe and tongue, and that they would come and feast at your table, of which this is but a foretaste. Lord, I pray that we would know you and love you more in and through this expression of your love for us. Lord, take this bread, take this cup from its common and ordinary purpose, and use it for your holy and mysterious one, that your love might compel us. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Here again, the words of institution as delivered by the Apostle Paul. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Drink of it, all of you, and as often as you do so, do so in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul goes on to say that whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Now all of you, come, eat, drink, be filled. These are the gifts of God, the love of God, given for you. The servers would please come forward. Today we're going to be taking communion by uh, intention, which is to say we're going to start with the front rows, and we're going to move, make our way toward the middle of whatever section you're in. You're going to come forward, and uh, in that manner you're going to receive, you'll come up and you'll get a bit of bread, and then you'll dip it in the cup, and in that manner receive both elements at once, uh, uh, and be able to partake of communion that way. I also, I'm going to be in the middle, and I'm going to have some prepackaged elements that are gluten-free and uh, are a little less risk if you happen to be ill or worried about illness. Uh, and so just make your way to the middle if you would like one of those. The balcony will also have a station, uh, and you'll find that up at the top, and it's pretty self-explanatory up there. But now all of you, come, eat, drink, and be filled. These are the gifts of God for you, the people of God.